Hello everyone, welcome back to the Forgotten Books Podcast. I'm your host, Annika, and today we'll be continuing our adventures with Mr. Toad and his friends in The Wind and the Willows. Last time we left off, it looked like Toad was in a bad state, you could say. But we'll continue our adventures and see what happens next. And now, let's begin Chapter 7 of The Wind and the Willows. Chapter 7 The Piper at the Gates of Dawn The willow wren was twittering his thin little song, hidden himself in the dark selvage of the riverbank. Though it was past ten o'clock at night, the sky still clung to and retained some lingering skirts of the light from the departed day, and the sullen heats of the torrid afternoon broke up and rolled away at the dispersing touch of the cool fingers of the short midsummer night. Mole lay stretched on the bank, still panting from the stress of the fierce day that had been cloudless from dawn till late sunset, and waited for his friend to return. He had been on the river with some companions, leaving the water rat free to keep an engagement of long-standing with Otter, and he had come back to find the house dark and deserted, and no sign of Rat, who was doubtless, keeping it up late with his old comrade. It was still too hot to think of staying indoors, so he laid on some cool dock leaves and thought over the past day and its doings, and how very good they had all been. The rat's light footfall was presently heard approaching over the parched grass. "'Oh, the blessed coolness,' he said and sat down, gazing thoughtfully into the river, silent and preoccupied. "'You stayed for supper, of course,' said the mole presently. "'Simply had to,' said the rat. "'They wouldn't hear of my going before. "'You know how kind they always were, "'and they made things jolly for me as ever they could. "'Right up to the moment I left. "'But I barely felt a brute all the time, "'as it was clear to me that they were very unhappy, "'though they tried to hide it. "'Mole, I'm afraid they're in trouble. "'Little Portly is missing again, "'and you know what his father thinks of him, "'though he never much says about it.' "'What, that child?' said the mole lightly. "'Well, suppose he is. Why worry about it? "'He's always straying off and getting lost and turning up again. "'He's so adventurous. "'But no harm ever happens to him. "'Everybody hereabouts knows him and likes him, "'just as they do old otter. "'And you may be sure some animal or other "'will come across him and bring him back again, all right. "'Why, we found him ourselves, miles from home, "'quite self-possessed and cheerful.' "'Yes, but this time is more serious,' said the rat gravely. "'He's been missing for some days now, and the otters have hunted everywhere, high and low, without finding the slightest trace. And they've asked every animal, too, for miles around, and no one seems to know anything about him. Otter's evidently more anxious than he'll admit. I got out of him that young Portly hasn't learned to swim very well yet, and I can see he's thinking of that. There's a lot of water coming down still, considering the time of year, and the place always has a fascination for the child. And there we are, well, traps and things, you know. Otter's not the fellow to be nervous about any son of his before this time, and now he is nervous. When I left, he came out with me, saying he wanted some air, and talked about stretching his legs, but I could see it wasn't that. So I drew him out and pumped him, and got it all from him at last. He was going to spend the night watching by the ford. 
You know the place where all four used to be? In bygone days before they built the bridge. I know it well, said the mole. But why should Otter choose to watch there? Well, it seems that it was there that he gave Portly his first swimming lesson, continued the rat. From that shallow, gravely spit near the bank, and it was there he used to teach him fishing, and there young Portly caught his first fish, and of which he is very so proud. The child loved that spot, and Otto thinks that if he came wandering back from wherever he is, if he's anywhere by this time, poor little chap, he might make for the ford he was so fond of, or he came across it and he'd remember it well and stop there and play, perhaps. So the Otto goes there every night and watches, on chance, you know, just on chance. There was silent for some time, but thinking about the same thing, the lonely, heart-sore animal crouched by the ford, watching and waiting the long night through on chance. Well, well, said Ratty presently, I suppose we ought to be thinking about turning in, but he never offered to move. Right, said the mole. I simply can't go and turn in, and go to sleep and do nothing, even though there doesn't seem to be anything to be done. We'll get out the boat and paddle upstream. The moon will be up in an hour or so, and then we'll search as well as we can. Anyhow, it'll be better than just going to bed and doing nothing. They got out the boat. The rat took the skulls, paddling with caution. Out in the midstream, there was a clear, narrow track that faintly reflected the sky. But wherever shadows fell, on the water from the bank, bush, or tree, they were as solid to all appearances as the banks themselves, and the mole had to steer with judgment accordingly. Dark and deserted as it was, the night was full of small noises, song and chatter rustling, telling of their busy little population who were up and about, plying their trades and vocations through the night till sunshine should fall on them and at last send them off to their well-earned repose. The water's own noises, too, were more apparent than by day. Its gurglings and cloops were unexpected and near at hand, and constantly they started at what seemed a sudden clear call of an actual articulate voice. The line of the horizon was clear and hard against the sky, and in one particular quarter it showed black against the silvery climbing phosphorescence that grew and grew. At last, over the rim of the waiting earth, the moon lifted with slow majesty till it swung clear over the horizon and rode off, free of moorings. And once more they began to see the surfaces of meadows, widespread and quiet gardens, and the river itself from bank to bank, all softly disclosed, all washed clean of misery and terror, all radiant again as by day. But with a difference that was tremendous. Their old haunts greeted them again in another raiment, as if they had slipped away and put on this pure new apparel and come quietly back, smiling as they shyly waited to see if they would be recognized again under it. Fastening their boat to a willow, the friends landed in this silent silver kingdom and patiently explored the hedges, the hollow trees, the runnels, and their little culverts, the ditches and their dryways, Embarking again and crossing the river over, they worked their way up the stream in this manner, while the moon, serene and detached in a cloudless sky, did what she could, though so far off to help them in their quest, till her hour came and she sank earthwards reluctantly and left them, and mystery once more held field and river. 
Then a change began slowly to declare itself. The horizon became clearer, field and tree came more into sight, and somehow, with a different look, the mystery began to drop away from them. A bird piped suddenly, and was still, and a light breeze sprang up and set the reeds and bulrushes rustling. Rat, who was in the stern of the boat, while Mole scolded, sat up suddenly and listened with passionate intenseness. Mole, who was with gentle strokes, was keeping the boat moving while he scanned the banks with care, looked at him curiously. "'Oh, it's gone,' sighed the rat, sinking back into his seat again. "'So beautiful and strange and new, Jay, since it was to end soon. I almost wish I'd never heard it, for it has roused a longing in me that is pain.' And nothing seems worth while but to hear the sound once more and go on listening to it forever. No, there it is again, he cried, alert once more, entranced. He was silent for a long space, spellbound. Now it passes on and I'll begin to lose it, he said presently. Oh, mould the beauty of it, the merry bubble and joy, the thin, clear, happy call of the distant popping. Such a music I never dreamed of. And the call is stronger even than the music is sweet. Roll on, Mole, for the music, the call must be for us. The Mole, greatly wondering, obeyed. I heard nothing myself, he said, but the wind playing in the reeds, rushes, and ogres. The Rat never answered. If indeed he heard, wrapped and transported, trembling, he was possessed in all of his senses by this new divine thing that had caught up his helpless soul and swung and dangled it, a powerless but happy infant in the strong, sustaining grasp. In silence, Mole rolled slowly, and as soon as he came to a point where the river divided, a long backwater branch off to one side. With a slight movement of his head, Rat, who had long dropped the ruddered lines, directed the rower to take the backwater. The creeping tide of the light gained and gained, and now they could see the color of the flowers that gleamed the water's edge. Clear and clear still, cried the rat joyously. Now you must surely hear it. At last I see you do. Breathless and transfixed, the mole stopped rowing as the liquid run of that glad piping broke on him like a wave, caught him up and possessed him utterly. He saw the tears on his comrade's cheeks and bowed his head and understood. For a space they hung there, brushed by the purple loose strife that fringed the bank. Then a clear, imperious summons that marched hand in hand with the intoxicating melody imposed its will on Mole, and mechanically he bent to his oars again. And the light grew steadily and stronger, but no bird sang as they were wont to do the approach of dawn. But for the heavenly music, all was marvelously still. On either side of them, as they glided onwards, the rich meadow grass seemed that morning of a freshness and greenness unsurpassable. Never had they noticed the roses so vivid, the willow herbs so riotous, the meadow sweet so odorous and pervading. Then the murmur of the approaching ware began to hold the air, and they felt consciousness that they were nearing the end, whatever it might be surely awaited their expedition. A wide half-circle of foam and glinting lights and shining shoulders of green water, the great ware closed the backwater from bank to bank, 
troubled all the quiet surface with twirling edges and floating foam streaks, and descended all other sounds with its solemn soothing rumble. In the midmost of the stream, embraced in the ware's shimmering arm spread, in a small island lay anchored, fringed closed with willow and silver birch and alder. Reserved, shy, but full of significance, it hid whatever it might hold behind a veil, keeping it till the hour should come, and with the hour, those who were called and chosen. Slowly, but with no doubt or hesitation whatsoever, and in something of a solemn expectancy, the two animals passed through the broken tumultuous water and moored their boat at the flowery margin of the island. In silence they landed, and pushed through the blossom and scented herbage and undergrowth that led up to the level ground, till they stood on a little lawn of marvellous green, set round with nature's own orchard of trees, crabapple, wild cherry, and many others. <laughs> this is the place of my song dream, the place the music played to me, whispered the rat as if in a trance. Here in this holy place, here if anywhere, we shall surely find him. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet in the ground. It was no panic terror, indeed he felt wonderfully at peace and happy, but it was an awe that smote and held him, and without seeing he knew it could only mean that some august presence was very, very near. With difficulty he turned to look for his friend, and saw him at his side, cowed, stricken, and trembling violently. And still there was an utter silence in the populous bird-haunted branches around them, and still the light grew and grew. Perhaps he would have never dared raise his eyes, but that, though the piping net was now hushed, and the call and the summons seemed still dominant and imperious, he might not refuse, were death himself waiting to strike him instantly. Once he had looked with mortal eye on the things rightly kept hidden. Trembling, he obeyed and raised his humble head, and then, in that utter clearness of imminent dawn, while nature, flushed with fullness of incredible color, seemed to hold her breath for the event, he looked in the very eyes of the friend and helper, saw the backward sweep of the curved horns gleaming in the growing daylight, saw the stern, hooked nose between the kindly eyes that were looking down on them humorously, while the bearded mouth broke into a half-smile at the corners, saw the rippling muscles on the arm that lay across the broad chest, the long, supple hand holding the pan-pipes, only just fallen away from the parted lips, saw the splendid curves of the shaggy limbs disposed in majestic ease on the sod, saw at last of all Nestling between his very hooves, sleeping soundly in entire peace and contentment, the little, round, podgy, childish form of the baby otter. And this he saw for one moment, breathless and intense, vivid on the morning sky, and still, as he looked, he lived, and still, as he lived, he wondered. Rot, he found breath to whisper, shaking, Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining in unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never! Uh, uh, and yet, and yet, oh, mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship. 
sudden and magnificent, the sun's broad golden disk showed itself over the horizon facing them, and the first rays shooting across the level water meadows took the animals full in the eyes and dazzled them. When they were able to look once more, the vision had vanished, and the air was full of the carol of birds that hailed the dawn. As they stared blankly in dumb misery, deepening as they slowly realized all that they had seen and all that they had lost, a capricious little breeze, dancing up from the surface of the water, tossed the aspens, shook the dewy rose, and blew lightly and caressingly in their faces. And with its soft touch came instant oblivion. For this, this is the last best gift that the kindly demigod is careful to bestow on those whom he has revealed himself in their helping. The gift of forgetfulness. Lest the awful remembrance should remain and grow, and overshadow mirth and pleasure, and the great haunting memory should spoil all the afterlives of the little animals helped out of difficulties, in order that they should be happy and light-hearted as before. Mole rubbed his eyes and stared at Rat, who was looking at him in a puzzled sort of way. "'I beg your pardon, but what did you say, Rat?' he asked. Oh, "'I think I was only remarking,' said Rat slowly. "'That is, was the right sort of place, and, and that here, if anywhere, we should find him. And, and look! What, why, there he is, the little fellow!' And with a cry of delight he ran towards the slumbering portly. But Mole stood a moment, held in thought as one wakened suddenly from a beautiful dream, who struggles to recall it, and can recapture nothing but a dim sense of beauty of it. The beauty! Till that too fades away in its turn, and the dreamer bitterly accepts the hard, cold waking, and all of its penalties. So Mole, after struggling with his memory for a brief space, shook his head and sadly followed the rat. Portly woke up with a joyous squeak and wriggled with pleasure at the sight of his father's friends, who had played with him so often in past days. In a moment, however, his face grew blank. He fell to hunting round in a circle with a pleading whine. As a child that has fallen happily asleep in its nurse's arms, and wakes up to find itself alone and laid in a strange place, and searches corners and cupboards and runs from room to room, despair growing silently in his heart. Even so, Portly searched the island and searched, dodged and underwhelming, till at last the black moment came for giving it up, and sitting down and crying bitterly. The mole ran quickly to comfort the little animal, but Rat, lingering, looked long and doubtfully at the certain hoof marks deep in the sod. Some great animal has been here, he murmured slowly and thoughtfully, and stood musing, musing his mind strangely stirred. Come along, Rat, called the mole. Think of poor Otto waiting there by the ford. Portly had soon been comforted by the promise of a treat a jaunt on the river in Mr. Rat's real boat, and the two animals conducted him to the water's side, placed him securely between them in the bottom of the boat, and paddled off down the backwater. The sun was fully up by now, and hot on them. Birds sang lustily and without restraint, and the flowers smiled and nodded from either side of the bank. But somehow, so thought the animals, 
with less of the richness and blaze of color than they had seemed to remember seeing quite recently somewhere. They wondered where. The main river reached again. They turned the boat's head upstream towards the point where they knew their friend was keeping his lonely vigil. As they drew near the familiar ford, the mole took the boat into the bank, and they lifted Portly out and set him on his legs on the towpath, gave him his marching orders and a friendly farewell pat on the back, and shoved out into the midstream. They watched the little animal as he waddled along the path contentedly and with importance, watched him until they saw his muzzle suddenly lift and his waddle break into a clumsy amble as he quickened his pace with shrill whines and wriggles of recognition. Looking up the river, they could see Otter start up, tense and rigid, from out of the shallows where he crouched in dumb patience, and could hear his amazed and joyous bark as he bounded up through the osiers onto the path. Then the mole, with a strong pull on one oar, swung the boat around and let the full stream bear down on them again, whither it would, where their quest now had happily ended. I feel strangely tired, Rat, said the mole, leaning wearily over his oars as the boat drifted. It's being up all night, you'll say, perhaps, but it's nothing. We do much have these nights of the week, as this time of year. No, I feel as I have been through something very exciting and rather terrible as it was just over, and yet nothing particular has happened. Oh, something splendid and very surprising and beautiful, murmured the rat, leading back and closing his eyes. I feel just as you do, Mole, simply dead tired, though not body tired. It's lucky we've got the stream with us to take us home. Isn't it jolly to feel the sun again, soaking into one's bones, and hark, the wind playing in the reeds? It's like music, far away music said the mole, nodding drowsily. So I was thinking, murmured the rat, dreamily and languid. Dance and music, the lilting salt that runs without a stop, but with words in it too. It passes into words and out of them again. I catch him at intervals, when it is dance music once more, and then nothing but reads softly whispering. You hear it better than I, said the mole sadly. I cannot catch these words. Let me draw and give you them, said the rat softly, his eyes still closed. Now it's turning into words again, faint but clear. Lest the awe should dwell, and should turn your frolic to fret, you shall look on my power at the helping hour, but then you shall forget. Now the reeds take it up. Forget, forget. They sigh, and it dies away in a rustle and a whisper. Then the voice returns. Lest the limbs be reddened and rent, I spring the trap I set. As I lose the snare, you may glimpse me there, for surely you shall forget. Row near, mole, nearer to the reeds. It's hard to catch, and it grows each minute fainter. Elper and ear, I cheer. Small waifs in the woodland, wet. Strays I find in it wounds, I bind in it, bidding them all forget. Nearer, mole, nearer. No, it's, it's no good. The song has died away into reed talk. But what do the words mean? asked the wandering mole. 
That I do not know, said the rat simply. I'll pass them on to you as they reach me. Ah, now they return again, this time full and clear. This time, at last, it is the real and unmistakable thing. Simple, passionate, perfect. Well, let's have it then, said the mole after he had waited patiently for a few minutes, half dozing in the hot sun. But no answer came. He looked and understood the silence. With a smile of much happiness on his face, and something of a listening look still lingering there, the weary rat was fast asleep. And that concludes Chapter 7 of The Wind and the Willows. Thank you so much for listening. Please do let me know if you got any great ideas for this podcast. I'd love to hear them. You can either message me through Anchor or through my Instagram at Annika's Trinkets. And once again, I'd like to remind you, never forget about these books. And now, let us begin blooper time. The line of the horizon was cleared and... (laughs) Nope. The line of the horizon was clear and hard against the sky, and no one in particular quarter... (laughs) That was wrong. The mole, greatly wondering, obeyed. I heard nothing myself, he said, but the wind playing in the reeds and rushes and... Oh my, what's that? (laughs) Clearer and clearer still. Nope, that's not it. Clearer and nearer still cried the rat joyously. Now you must surely hear it. At last I see you do. Breathless and transfixed, the mole stopped rowing as the liquid of that gap... Whoa. The main river reached again. They turned the boat's head upstream towards the point where they knew their friend was keeping his lonely vigil. As they drew the... to That was bad. I can't pronounce anything. The main river reached again. They turned the boat's head upstream towards the point where they knew their friend was keeping his lonely vigil. Uh. Man. (laughs) And that concludes blooper time. Thank you so much for listening.